Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You are invited to join the ghosts, the banshees, the fairies, and demons run amok. We're all coming to October Pod's Halloween Potluck. You'll enjoy this ghastly crew. If your blood doesn't end up in the stew, we'll be baking a cake and raising some hell. Beware for heaven's sake, because we've got ghost stories to tell at October Pod's Halloween Potluck. Coming to you too on Tuesday, October 11th. Get a special preview by listening to our companion podcast, October Pod AM, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or find all our links at OctoberPodVHS.com. OctoberPod, retro horror for bold individualists. I'm Edward October. The sound you hear is Halloween night in suburbia. This is the start of OctoberPod on the Darkcast Network. The Dark Secret of Trick-or-Treat Trail, a true story submitted by Claude S.N., narrated by Edward October. Alright, so I attended high school in the Hampton Roads area, so Norfolk, Great Bridge, Chesapeake, Newport News, places like that were my old stomping grounds. So. I was one of these kids who had a lot of friends but didn't get a lot of dates. My mom worked with this lady who was this wannabe matchmaker and through a series of machinations too boring to recount, I got set up on a date with this girl, Naomi, who went to another high school. It was uh, sometime in the fall, probably close to Halloween, I can't remember, but it definitely wasn't on Halloween night. And I must have been about 15 because I couldn't drive yet, but... Naomi could. We lived right around the corner from a blockbuster video, so I told her to meet me there. This was one of my first real date dates, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect. For some reason, I thought we might go to El Toro Loco and split a plate of nachos or something. (laughs) I was such a dork. She showed up about 20 minutes late in her old beater Pontiac. You know, kids didn't get a brand new Lexus as their first car when I was growing up. She had two friends in tow, two male friends. These guys, um, Aiden and Noah. She never told me why she brought these guys with her, and I never asked. Did she think I was some kind of creep that she needed protection from? Or maybe she wasn't taking the whole date thing very seriously because she, like me, was kind of set up against her will by some old lady? Either way, it started with a cringy vibe that I was never able to shake. (laughs) Well, obviously, when you hear how the night ended. 
Aiden and Noah were such douchebags, too. They just sat in the back seat cracking all these inside jokes and talking about somebody called Amon. I asked them who they were talking about, and they pointed at my date and said Naomi, spelled backwards, as Amon. Yeah. Classy. But she didn't mind. She laughed just about every time, like these two douche nozzles had just invented comedy. As soon as I got in the car, my hopes of an unlikely love connection ended pretty quickly. So I just sat back and planned on enduring the evening, for lack of a better term. Naomi and her friends had no real plan for the night, aside from just driving around aimlessly, I guess. Which was a popular thing to do back then, especially for kids who'd already gotten a driver's license. Naomi drove around looking for this place called the uh, Iroquois Club. And it was some under-21 club, apparently, that sounded whack as fuck, if you ask me. But she never could find it, and Aiden and Noah were too broke to pay the cover, so we didn't go. Which was all fine by me. Then the three of them got a bug up their ass to go find Trick or Treat Trail. I guess I'd better tell you what that is. Just about every kid I knew had heard some version of the story. Here's how I heard it. Back in the 1970s, this real estate company planned a huge new subdivision, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, with the expectation that they could lure a big grocery store, maybe a couple of fast food franchises to open up out there. They had difficulty finding investors and generally scraping the money together to build, but they got three to five model homes built. Once they were tapped out for cash, they decided to hold a big open house to lure home buyers and other potential investors to the little community they were planning. The open house was planned for Halloween, with the idea that they'd have folks bring their kids to trick-or-treat for candy on what they called their trick-or-treat trail, which was really just the main cul-de-sac of the community all decked out for Halloween with decorations. Jack-o'-lanterns, candles, a little bonfire for roasting s'mores, yeah, stuff like that. Real estate agents would be in costume inside the model homes, giving out candy to the kids and giving out brochures to the adults who were encouraged to tour the model homes. They advertised the trick-or-treat trail in all the newspapers, and the kid who told me the story said that his uncle had a clipping of one of those newspaper ads. The problem with all this was that the development was too far from town and that nobody showed up. Nobody. So. There were all these real estate agents mulling around in their costumes just waiting for people to show up. And as I'm telling this, it's sounding a lot like the setup for an Arrested Development episode, but whatever. Now, this is where the story gets harder to swallow. They say that it was an unusually dry fall. It hadn't rained since early September or some shit. The story goes that the wind kicked up and fanned the flames of the little bonfire until one of the embers got on the roof of one of the model homes. It was dry and windy, so the house caught fast. The real estate agents knew the fire department was too far away to prevent any damage, so they tried to put the fire out themselves. Don't ask me how. Unfortunately, they were wearing Halloween costumes, and in the early 70s, store-bought costumes were notorious for being highly flammable. I don't know why they wouldn't have taken off their costumes first, but whatever. They were trying to put out a fire in flammable costumes, and surprise, surprise, 
they caught on fire too, and they all burned alive. They say that when fire and rescue finally did show up, all they found were the model homes burned to their foundations and the charred corpses of the costumed real estate agents. The version of the legend that I heard stated that the unfinished community is still out there and that you can even find old signs along the road advertising the trick-or-treat trail. If you go to the doorstep of one of the burned-down houses on Halloween and yell trick-or-treat, they say the ghost of one of the dead real estate agents will appear behind you. And the kid who told me the story said, if you do this, don't turn around because their faces are so scarred and horrifying anyone sees them they'll die of fright or some such shit so anyway aiden and noah said they knew a kid who could tell them how to get there naomi drove to a 7-eleven so that noah could call his friend from a payphone and get directions yes this was back before everybody had cell phones I remember trying to mack on Naomi a little while her two friends were at the payphone, but I either didn't have any game or she was just preoccupied with getting directions. Probably both. And then the next thing I know, we're all loaded up in the Pontiac, tearing through every back road and subdivision in the county looking for this stupid trick-or-treat trail. I must have said something about how it seemed we were driving in circles. And Aiden and Noah started joking that they could drive me around so many subdivisions and cul-de-sacs that I'd have no idea where I was. <laughs> While this was probably true, I'd say they underestimated how many stoners I was friends with who'd drive me ever damn where looking for good places to smoke a bowl and philosophize in peace. <laughs> That's another story. Suffice it to say, we ended up somewhere. I don't know if it was the place we thought it was, but... Wherever we were, we were someplace creepy. We went down a lot of unfamiliar roads way out in the middle of bumblefuck, far away from any street lights or strip malls or office parks or any of the shit we were used to. I remember Naomi was starting to get a little freaked out about finding our way back. I would tell you my vague notion of the place we ended up, but I don't want any of your listeners trying to go there, so I'm going to keep those details to myself. So, like I said, the place certainly fit the bill. It was clearly a housing development that had been abandoned for some reason. There were houses that they'd apparently started building, like they'd put up foundations and framed out walls and studs and stuff, but it was all overgrown with weeds and brush. Naomi parked the car and turned off the headlights, and it was pitch black. Like, so black that my eyes got sore straining to see something. Anything. I asked these geniuses if anyone had thought to bring a flashlight, and Naomi said she kept one in the trunk. I always kept a lighter on me, stoner friends, remember, and was prepared to use it to make some kind of torch if I absolutely needed to which in itself is kind of a stupid idea. So we get out of the car and immediately hear a crunch of glass under Noah's feet. I'm guessing a vial or a glass pipe. Now, we were scared as shit being out there, but not of ghosts. We were scared we'd run into a crackhead or that Naomi would get a flat tire and we'd be stuck out there. But, you know, the wisdom of teenagers. We huddled behind one flashlight like we were the fucking Scooby gang or something and went exploring. Naomi was the one holding the light 
and it gave me an excuse to be close to her. You know, I sometimes wonder if we could have hit it off under different circumstances, but that's neither here nor there. Like I said earlier, I don't know if this place was the trick-or-treat trail, or if there was any truth to that story at all. But if a kid wanted to do some ghost hunting on a date, this was a swell place to do it. The farther in we got, the more drug paraphernalia we came across. It got weedier, too. Weeds had overtaken the asphalt and concrete and grew waist-high in some areas. The swishing noises of our footsteps in the weeds freaked us out more than once. Aiden and Noah seemed particularly spooked because this was the first time all night that they stopped joking and they didn't call my date I moan even once. We got to a structure that looked very much like a model home that burned down to its foundation in an unexpected fire. And we were going to walk up to what was left of the front stoop and yell trick or treat and then get the f*** out of there. We were about to mount the first step when I caught sight of movement just at the edge of the flashlight beam. Naomi saw it too because she said, holy shit you guys. Now I don't know what possessed me to do this. Maybe I wanted to look tough in front of my date. But I yelled out, don't fuck with us, I've got a knife. I didn't, and I'll fuck you up. Who was I kidding? <laughs> I remember Noah being a smartass and saying, smooth move, X-Lax. Now the ghosts know exactly where we're at. But I don't think any of us thought it was a ghost. I was thinking, hoping, it was an animal. Maybe a raccoon or something. We waited in silence for a minute, and Naomi said that she'd do a sweep of the area with her flashlight before getting on with it. She turned in a 360 degree arc, shining it on everything in front of her. And then, like out of some cheap horror movie script, the beam of the light landed on three figures. They weren't too close to us, but they were close enough to be lit up by Naomi's pretty weak flashlight. Two of them were wearing red hoodies, one had on a black hoodie with yellow lettering, and they were all wearing masks. The masks were the plastic Halloween masks with elastic bands, like what you'd buy in a Kmart or something, but distorted somehow, like they'd gotten stepped on or melted a little bit lying too close to a campfire. One mask was a Frankenstein, one was a Dracula, and the other one was something else. That one was red, and Naomi assumed it was a devil mask, but I thought it might be Spider-Man. Doesn't really matter. Scared the shit out of us anyway, because one of them, the Dracula, was clearly holding a hypodermic needle. He wasn't holding it like he was about to shoot up. He held it like a weapon, you know, like he'd use it on us. Everything else happened in less than 30 seconds, so I'll tell it quick. The figures scattered into the brush, and we all freaked and ran back to Naomi's car. Naomi had me by the elbow, nearly dragging me behind her, and Aiden and Noah were just behind me. I heard Aiden holler like something had got him, but he caught up to us quickly enough. It sounded like movement was all around us, but, you know, it could have just been the sound of ourselves thrashing around. Just as we got to the car, the beam of the flashlight caught some kind of reflection underneath the car. Two little red pinpricks in the dark, like the eyes of something underneath the car. We just about shit our pants and moved as hard as we could to get into the car and lock the doors. Naomi started up the engine and 
peeled out of there so fast she almost hit a fence post as she was reversing. I never mentioned it to the others, but as we were backing out, I was looking ahead, you know, at the spot we were pulling out of. I thought I could see those red eyes shining in the darkness again, as if whatever it was had gotten up and turned to watch us leave. The whole ride back to our town, and it was a long ride because we'd gotten pretty lost, Aiden said that one of the masked people had grabbed him while we ran and tried to shoot him up with some of that shit that he had in the needle. He said he felt the needle prick his skin, but, you know, didn't penetrate. He rolled up his pants leg and showed us a spot on his calf that looked like a needle prick, but I don't know, that could have been made by a sticker bush. I don't remember much else of the ride back to the blockbuster near my house. They dropped me off and I never spoke to any of them again. Now the thought has occurred to me that this was all an elaborate prank the three of them had cooked up to, I guess, have a laugh at my expense. I still think that's entirely possible, but Aiden and Noah were at least as scared as I was. Naomi, too. If they planned it all, they must have been smarter and better actors than I'd think they were capable of being. So where does that leave us? Maybe we ran across some crazies in masks, or maybe other kids looking to fuck us up. Maybe some psychopaths looking to drug us and abduct us and whatever. Ghosts? Could be. Those red eyes still keep me up at night. Yeah. In fact, just thinking about them, just... (laughs) You know... If the story you just heard unsettled you, don't worry. All that means is that you're still sane. (laughs) Let's hope your grip on sanity holds after you listen to our next story, which begins after this soothing commercial break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Our next story is one of four ghost stories to be featured in October Pod's Halloween Potluck. This special event is a virtual Halloween party featuring retro entertaining tips, a vintage recipe courtesy of Cooking the Books on YouTube, and ghost stories written or narrated by many of October Pod's fan favorite guest contributors. October Pod's Halloween Potluck is coming to YouTube on Tuesday, October 11th, Subscribe to our channel, OctoberPod Home Video, to see it the moment it drops. And now, enjoy this special preview. Happy Birthday House, written for OctoberPod by John Iger, from local legends and various eyewitness accounts. Narrated by Sarai, host of Freaky AF, on the Darkcast Network. In my hometown, when I was growing up, 
We didn't have Bloody Mary. I mean, that just wasn't a story anyone ever told. But we did have something similar. We had Carrie and Kathy. They call her Carrie and Kathy because, as a ghost, she kind of looks a bit like roadkill or rotten meat. Fun fact, one of October Pod's earliest episodes was inspired by this legend. Kathy's backstory is kind of stupid. She lived in a nice-ish house with her asshole parents, you know, real corporate ladder climbers. The story goes that Kathy's birthday was either on Halloween or Friday the 13th. I could never keep it straight. Anyways, one year, her asshole parents forgot her birthday, her sweet 16. Kathy, who wasn't all there mentally, flew into a rage. She killed her whole family with her dad's shotgun and then slit her wrists with a razor. She bled out and died on the couch right next to her dead parents, but not before writing happy fucking birthday to me on the bathroom mirror in her own blood. The house was abandoned, but it still stands, mostly, and everybody calls it the happy birthday house. Now, legend has it that if you go to the happy birthday house and look in that bathroom mirror and chant happy birthday to me five times, Carrie and Kathy will appear right behind you in the mirror and either kill you or drag you to hell. Allegedly. So, on Halloween night during our senior year, me and my friends thought it'd be a good idea to find the house and summon Kathy. The house was creepy AF and looked just the way you'd expect. It had two bathrooms and the mirrors in both had been broken, however kids had spray painted happy fucking birthday on every wall of the house. At the time, I thought the story was a load of horse shit, so I volunteered to be the one to look in the mirror. We knew the mirrors in the house would be broken, so we brought our own. It was just past midnight, and there were no lights other than a weak flashlight we'd brought. I propped the mirror against the bathroom sink and said the words five times, and of course, nothing happened. We all went home that night feeling a little foolish and a little disappointed, but very stoned. Oops, I guess I forgot to tell you that part. Weird things started to happen the next day. I got out of the shower and got the shock of my life when I saw the reflection of a girl standing right behind me in the bathroom mirror. Her skin was gray and her hair was matted and she was looking at me with these black eyes filled with hate. And her face... Jesus Christ, I can't even describe it, but it looked like the personification of death and decay. I whirled around, but there was no one there. I saw her again the next day in the rearview mirror of my car as I was backing out of the driveway. She must have been close enough to touch my bumper. That night, I caught sight of her in a big mirror behind the dining room table. She was staring at me from the foyer at the bottom of the stairs. I saw her at least once every day 
for the next week. Each time, she was a little farther away until the day she didn't appear at all. When I went home to college, she'd appear to me whenever I went home for holidays or between semesters. It got so bad that I started covering the mirrors in my room and bathroom. To this day, I still see her sometimes and always whenever I visit my parents' house. It scares me every time. I don't think I'll ever get used to seeing her face. I'm Edward October. We've been told that our show is cursed and has a tendency to unleash all sorts of evil spirits into our listeners' homes. Exorcise all of your demons now by kindly giving this podcast a five-star rating. Your very soul may depend upon it. (laughs) The Hammer Horseman, narrated by Edward October. Dear October Pod, this story is a bit different from the usual subject matter of your show, but it does involve an urban legend, or internet lore, so I thought you would be interested. Like many in your audience, I am a fan of classic horror films and consider myself to be something of a Hammer Films historian, though I am no expert. A few years ago, I came across an obscure Reddit thread where folks like me would discuss and share information on unmade Hammer films. Now, the Hammer horror canon is legendary, but the films they left unmade are shrouded in mystery. Hammer files like me will lie awake at night thinking of unmade films like Nessie, Vampirella, and the unquenchable thirst of Dracula, and of the glories of what could have been. So, I'm on Reddit, and one of the users started making noise about a script for Hammer, based on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, by Washington Irving. My head nearly exploded. But first, a little background. Throughout their heyday, Hammer's two greatest challenges were appeasing British film censors and appealing to American audiences and financiers. Regarding the latter, Hammer frequently experimented with casting American actors in its film. Betty Davis, Tallulah Bankhead, and Richard Widmark were all cast in Hammer films, but with unlucky results. According to a Reddit user called Son of Celluloid, Hammer producers were keen to appeal to American audiences by adapting an all-American horror story. And so, they selected The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Everyone on the Reddit thread called BS and accused Son of Celluloid of playing an out-of-season April Fool's gag. But then he began posting PDFs of inter-office memoranda on Hammer Studios' letterhead, dating back to a time period from 1967 to 1969. The Reddit thread was taken down years ago, so I can't directly quote any of the memos, but 
They did seem to support the claim that Hammer wanted to adapt the Irving short story and were hoping to have Don Sharp or Roy Ward Baker directed for an early 1969 release. We pored over those memos for weeks, and then Son of Celluloid dropped a bomb, which, for a while anyway, silenced most of the skeptics. He posted what appeared to be a complete script for a film called The Curse of Sleepy Hollow. The script was odd, and, as usual with Hammer, took a number of liberties with the source material. For one thing, the story takes place during the final years of the Revolutionary War. The Headless Horseman lost his head in a battle only a year or two prior to the events of the film. Some characters in Sleepy Hollow even remember the battle. The Headless Horseman, therefore, is something of a novice specter. At first, this seems an odd choice, but I believe this was done so that American characters could more plausibly be played by British actors. Even stranger, the script plays out almost like a sequel to a more traditional Sleepy Hollow film that was never written. If that doesn't make a lot of sense, then let me give you a quick synopsis of the script as I remember it. It begins with a prologue taken straight from the Washington Irving story. Ichabod Crane leaves the party at the Van Tassel farm and rides through the woods alone. He is pursued by the Headless Horseman and subsequently beheaded. The opening credits roll over a shot of Ichabod Crane's trampled hat in the mud as night slowly transitions to dawn. Following the credits and the prologue, we learn that 18 months have passed. A coach arrives in the hollow, and we are introduced to a new character, Eliza Crane. Eliza is the sister of Ichabod Crane, who traveled from London to urge her brother to return home to be with their father on his deathbed. She encounters the village innkeeper who bristles at the name Crane and who typical of Hammer innkeepers, refuses to rent a room from his crane. Another woman, who has been lurking in a dark corner of the inn, approaches Eliza and offers her a room at her home. This woman is Katrina Van Tassel. In a long dialogue scene at the Van Tassel farm, Eliza learns of her brother's murder at the hands of the Headless Horseman. We also learn that Brahm, now Katrina's fiancé, was accused of the crime and is now languishing in jail. Katrina's father, who regarded Brahm as his own son, died of a heart attack when Brahm was arrested. Katrina inherited all of her father's wealth. Strangely enough, there is no mention of her mother. Eliza and Katrina team up to solve the mystery of Ichabod's death and to prove Brahm's innocence. At this point, there's much toing and froing as the two heroines play Nancy Drew along what likely would have been a Bray Studios backlot doubling for the Haunted Hollow. The two meet various quirky and unsavory characters, including the parson, who seems very knowledgeable about matters of the... After speaking with our two heroines, the parson 
gives Katrina and Eliza a book on New England witchcraft that had once belonged to Ichabod Crane. In the meantime, the bodies pile up as the Headless Horseman continues his preferred nocturnal activities. A couple of these killings would have looked great on film. The best one occurs when the parson helps Brom Bones escape from his jail cell. Brom makes his escape, walking along the same stretch of road where Ichabod was killed. He hears, but does not see, a horse stalking him slowly through the trees. He comes across a lit path and follows it. The path is lighted with dozens and dozens of jack-o'-lanterns, carved with increasingly grotesque faces. It leads Brahm to what appears to be a ceremonial circle. It's a trap. The spectral horseman rides up and collects his head. This is clearly the best kill in the script, commingling moments of suspense and shock. I could easily imagine James Bernard's music playing over this scene. As it turns out, the parson is actually the leader of either a witch coven or a satanic cult. The script wasn't very clear about which. And they summon and control the headless horseman to do their bidding. A very similar concept was also used in Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow movie. Eliza Crane and Katrina Van Tassel eventually run afoul of the Satanists. Eliza is captured and brought to the ceremonial circle in the woods as a ritual sacrifice. Katrina alerts the local authorities, who assemble a posse of farmers to rescue Eliza. The posse is successful at killing or apprehending the Satanists, but Eliza had already fled into the woods with the headless horseman close on her track. Katrina steals the parson's horse and attempts to rescue Eliza. Just as the horseman's sword is about to claim Eliza's head, Katrina dispatches the spectral Hessian using a magic incantation from Ichabod Crane's own book on New England witchcraft. The headless horseman disappears in a vapor, leaving behind his sword, which drops to the ground as his hand disintegrates. Credits. I thought it was a great script. If it's authentic and if it had been made, it would have been the only Hammer film with a really strong female protagonist, let alone two. All the Hammer files who read it were divided on its authenticity. But that didn't stop us from fan casting it. For anyone interested, here are my picks of Hammer regulars who'd be great in this hypothetical picture. Ralph Bates would make a perfect Ichabod Crane. The role of the parson seems to be written especially for Christopher Lee, but casting Christopher Lee would eliminate much of the script's mystery. You would know almost instantly that the parson was up to no good. But Michael Goff or Thorley Walters cast against type would also be good in the role. Naturally, I'd cast Michael Ripper as the innkeeper. He's really the only choice for the role. Hammer alums Oliver Reed or Robert Morris from Frankenstein Created Woman would have been great as Brown Bones. There's been a lot of discussion of who might have filled the lead female roles, but for my money, I'd cast Veronica Carlson and Barbara Ewing as Eliza and Katrina, respectively. 
And that's my tale. The Reddit thread was somewhat mysteriously deleted, and all the links to the memos and the script were lost. Son of Celluloid's account was disabled, and he seemed to disappear from the internet altogether. I've searched and searched for folks who might have saved the script locally, but so far, no dice. I've heard rumors that you can download it on the dark web if you know where to look, but I wouldn't dip my toes into the dark web for that. Would you? I'm Maddie, and, and we're, we're Witches Talking Tarot, and we've brought you a show all about the occult. We're talking different lores and mythology. Yes, creature features, cryptids, aliens, you name it, we'll cover it. Conspiracy theories. Absolutely. And pagan holidays and 100%. Practices. All eight of them. Yes. Spiritual living, you yeah. name it. That's right. We've got it for you, so if you want, come sit with us for a spell and let us make you laugh. We are Witches Talking Tarot. Thanks, everybody. Last year, there were nearly 22,000 murders in the U.S. Not surprisingly, more than 200 true crime podcasts launch every year in the U.S. alone. There's no shortage of crimes and no shortage of crime podcasts to cover them. But none of those shows have the heart of our true crime podcasts. Thank goodness. Well, hell, they didn't even have seatbelt laws back then. He never wore seatbelt. Yeah, it's fine. He could not remember exactly what happened and thought that he had blacked out. That was about it. That's all he could tell oh, officers. No. He was drawing things, saying the, the thoughts won't stop. I want to see, see how this plays out. It's heartbreaking. Isn't it time you made our true crime podcast your true crime podcast? Our true crime podcast, available on all your favorite podcasting apps. Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal or murder... Join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at 3 Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. Octoberpod is produced, edited, and directed by Edward October. The series co-producer is MJ McAdams. If you're only listening to Octoberpod, you're missing out on half the fun. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Octoberpod Home Video, 
to receive new videos on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at OctoberPodVHS, on TikTok at OctoberPod, or, God help us, on Pinterest at OctoberPod. Shop for gifts and apparel for bold individualists at our Spreadshirt.com merch shop, OctoberPod Outfitters. You can find us and all of our links on the World Wide Web at OctoberPodVHS.com. OctoberPod is a proud member of the Darkcast Network. The man who spoke to you was Mr. Edward October. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.